Hello to today's podcast from Mark and Mark on pharmaceutical contamination monitoring. Today we look at risk assessments on aseptic fill lines. I'm Mark with 25 years of experience in aseptic fill finish equipment and I'm together with... Hello, I'm Mark with 25 years of delivering solutions for contamination monitoring. Welcome back, Mark. I did a quick presentation at an event not too long ago about risk assessment we've done on a fill line. And uh, this sparked a lot of interest in a lot of people. Um, I talked about it with several of the OEM companies we have good relations with in the past couple of months. And I think this was worthwhile to get your opinion on this and see what you say about it. Why is yeah. it so important today to have the risk assessment? And come, please come with your Annex 1 statement because I haven't heard <laughs> it enough. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It, it, um, so it's, it's been brought to the fore even, even more than it was before. I mean, risk assessments were always important because there was a requirement for a formal risk assessment to be performed. But with the release of the new Annex 1 that calls out a documented risk assessment to be part of your CCS, your contamination control strategy, uh, we've been getting a lot of interest in how can we deliver a viable, as in, as in a tangible, something that actually means something, risk assessment for, for customers. And, and, you know, those areas include the background areas, the formulation, the filling rooms, and and specifically the fill lines themselves, whether they be under isolator or or you know what, what we'd consider an open fill line for for previous generations. Well, um, so just since I said Annex One, um, they said that they will expect everyone now in one year to. Um, to update their filling process, but I, it's hard for me to understand that uh, everyone will update an old filling line in like one year and put a wraps on it or an isolator. Um, I think that with a good solid risk assessment on maybe even an older line with a little bit more risk than an isolator, you can already do a lot, right? Absolutely, yeah, and and that's the the basis behind the risk assessment. It's understanding what the risks are. And you may well be in control of those variables, of those risks, um, using classic fill technologies. You, it's, it's what's been around for the last you know, 20 years. A customer, a site in particular, could have been using that same technology for you know, the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. And um, all the sterility tests and uh, the media fills and the APS that they've done show that they've got good solid aseptic practices and uh, and what they now need is that documented evidence that that's the case yeah. a lot of them have ended up there because we've always done it this way and we've got a rigorous program but now it's a now it's a, you know an element where they have to document it and what yeah. what do you go down what path do you go down to you know suitably document a risk assessment on new lines and and as you said importantly legacy lines yeah well <clears throat> when i was 16 years old um i built the first aseptic filling line uh, at least which i was seeing in my life 
and um, that one had no gloves in it and it uh, had uh, windows uh, and closed doors and it was running without a human being inside. Um, so while the product was open, there was uh, airflow coming from the top. Maybe the design wasn't perfect aer aerodynamic yet. Um, maybe no one uh, looked at uh, how the surfaces are disinfected on top of the uh, filling line, uh, like in the in the first air area. But I think, um, like you said, if you do the right strategy behind that, you look what's going on. You maybe do a H2O2 cloth disinfection on the top there you might have uh, most of the risk under control right yeah yeah and it, and it, and had you written that down you would have had <sighs> your risk assessment you know it, and and so a risk assessment comes in one of two one or two ways there's a qualitative and a quantitative uh, as you know our company tagline is without measurement there is no control so what we like to try and do is to bring both the qualitative and the quantitative aspects together such that we can start to rate and rank risk because it's a, it's great from a qualitative perspective you know that if you've got an open vial exposed materials certainly exposed uh, product that's a high risk so we can call it high but how high is high you know the, it is yeah. so to be able to quantify by adding certain numbers, uh, numbers to the risk we can then you know add a layer of what would be appropriate either mitigation or monitoring requirements for that particular point yeah we talked a little bit in a previous show about um, why it's important for the oem to basically in the beginning of the design of the machine to think mm -hmm. where to do the risk assessment uh, we talked about why we have a particle collection point and a viable collection point. Um, if it's not a continuous viable collection point, also a settle plate all around in one location that we have the same data created or at least one data point for everything. Um, we never talked about the surface uh, contamination and the risk assessment around that. Um, so for example, what happens with a fill line uh, or in the fill line with the filling needle uh, you have to swap it after production, for example, or you have to plate certain surfaces, you have to swap behind corners, in corners where uh, for bacteria and so on. This is all part of a good risk assessment, right? It does. Yeah. So it's not just the airborne elements. And, and when you start to think about a risk assessment, wouldn't it be, there's a couple of ways of doing it. There's like the, the blanket coverage. If, if we, test everything then surely we've got all of that information so you can sample absolutely everything you could get a swab or a surface contact plate and obviously you're not allowed to smear contact plates around you're meant to dab specific areas that are meant to reflect high risk but if you were to dab every single square centimeter of the surface of a filling machine or swab every single square centimeter of the machinery within there, you would absolutely capture the risk. But at what cost? And I, and I don't necessarily mean cost in dollars and euros. I mean, at what cost to labor? You know, you'd, you'd only be able to fill once per month at best yeah. because you'd be waiting for all of that feedback. And the same as with your aerosol monitoring. If you were to put 20 particle counters and 20 microbial samplers on a filler, 
you could guarantee of demonstrating control or when any of those parameters go out of control. But what do you do with all of that data? So there has to be a relationship between the measurement point and the process or the loss of control of a process. And that's really where the risk assessment can help you. And the same as with the, you know, the contact plates and the surface analysis is, you know, you find those high points that um, are likely to uh, become contaminated with with you know, as, a, as a contaminated surface or um, reflect the overall cleanliness of that zone within the isolator filling machine itself. So it, it's a question of not only identifying the locations that are key, but removing the the low hanging elements, you know, the sort of like the non-critical surfaces. How do you eliminate that? So it um, it becomes like a, a spot the ball competition where you're allowed one or two little X's and you have to find where the ball is on the on the image. <laughs> you have to find the right spot to measure to the exclusion of the others. And the exclusion of the others can be as important as the choosing of the X. And you have to change it all the time, right? I mean, you have your high uh, high risk points you do maybe every time, but then you have other points you exchange around the filling line to see every corner at some point. You you try to, you know, but, but with the best will in the world, what tends to happen is that the workload of a lot of microbiology departments is such that the, there is a focus on um, on the critical points And typically, only if there's a qualification study or uh, something has gone wrong and it's a, like, you know, a corrective action where we try to determine what happened, do we go back through and do more of a carpet, you know, a carpet mapping affair. Yeah. So the idea is to get that mapping done right, find the critical locations and then stick with them. The only sort of random sampling that one might do would be um, literally just that a very ad hoc if an operator you know was found to be contaminated on their way out you know and they, their fingerprint test comes back positive if a fingerprint test comes back positive the isolator is already clean so it, it's very difficult to go back in and take those measurements retroactively because of the delay yeah. in in some of the sampling techniques that we employ Yeah, I just thought that you, um, let's say you have five high risk points, you do always the same filling needle, whatever sorting ball and so on. And then yeah. you have maybe another five or 10 points you swap around. You say one time I do the left corner of the isolator and the next time I do the right corner of the isolator just to get around to see everything at some point. It, it, it depends on the scale of the operation, Mark. You know, uh, I'd like to... And I'd like to think that that's the case, but as part of the, you know, as part of the risk assessment, uh, we we tend to focus on the critical. Yeah, and, well, and that's that's where we're at. Yeah, and uh, we can start this document with uh, the customer, and then they might at some point find other uh, rationale behind yeah. it and attach it to it. Yeah, and and that's that is more often the case. It's where you know we've. From a risk perspective, you've identified the critical, but 
from a practical perspective that you know, risk of debt assessment isn't a one and done. You know, it's not a one time kind of event and then we can forget about it, and put it in a put it in a folder and tuck it away in a file. Mm-hmm. It's a living document. And those risks are, you know, variable and they change depending on the product or the process or the the operators within a room and how new they are versus how seasoned they are. And so there's um, there are several variables that work their way into an evolving risk assessment. So it should never be you know, one and done, we should always treat it as a living document to go back to if we identify changes or if we do get a high hit, how did that happen? And should that now become a new critical location within that environment? Yeah. And at the end, you have to uh, trend your data anyway uh, to see what your cleaning agents are doing and how you uh, have to adjust your cleaning strategy and so on and then see where your facility is going over the years. I mean, absolutely. So that's where it's part of your contamination control strategy. Yeah, it's not a single point. So when I think about risk, I see the biggest risk if you have people manually fill and we still have that happening. I mean, there's people to do uh, fills on uh, <laughs> semi-automatic machines inside the laminar flow bench mm-hmm. and maybe not in uh, thousands of vials at a time, but in compounding pharmacies and so on. Um most of the times at these places, you don't have the risk assessment because they're looked in a different way. Um, but I I would think that's the most critical way. I mean, if you have the hands inside, what can be more critical than that? We, we still do risk assessments, even within small compounding pharmacies, Margot. Yeah. And, and again, the scope is so much less. And, um, and one of the points that you did mention there is that Typically, in a compounding pharmacy, they're making a few vials or a few syringes. Uh, Here in the US, we have a 503B versus a compounding pharmacy. Once the scale increases to such an extent that they're producing, you know, hundreds of products, not necessarily thousands or ten thousands, like a lot of the large pharma manufacturers might be, as they start to grow the quantities that they're manufacturing so that that risk then becomes less visible. When I'm manufacturing a product just for you, then I'm in control of the full life cycle from, you know, ingredients to patient. And the visibility of the patient in the equation is part of the risk assessment. Some products found as a medical device. How is that possible and what, what's the difference there i remember people feeling like hyaluronic acid for example which was uh, maybe injected into the knee or something um it, at the end it goes into the body is it different when it goes into a bloodstream than it goes into a a, a, a knee from an aseptic perspective i wouldn't like to think so but um, it, it is there are subcutaneous and intramuscular injections that um, that have a different set of criteria for them certainly for particles in finished injectables so but that's when we're talking about the actual number of particles that are allowed so the inert particles when we're environmental monitoring which is what we're talking about here 
what we're looking for aren't necessarily the inert particles in finished product. We're looking for particles within the air that are indicative of control over the environment, not necessarily those intrinsic or extrinsic particles that get into finished product. So aseptic manufacturing should always be viewed as good aseptic practice. So we're fighting against the human. We're always fighting against an operator contaminating our environments, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so the trend of a gloveless isolator is here. Uh, the still the the word of the day. Um, a lot of people think uh, that this is the future, but uh, when I look at it quickly, I still see the same bacteria inside an isolator as it is uh, in a clean room. And it still comes from the humans and uh, even the gloveless isolator opens up at some point and it still has uh, 70% of the bacteria found inside is by a, um, or it came from a human. So the risk assessment is the same extent uh, for gloveless isolator as it is for um, a, a normal fill line, I would say. And if you look at the points they're probably changing a little bit because uh, we have different risk points but at the end you have to evaluate the same size of machine the same square meters the same filling action the same criticality everything the same right absolutely you've just eliminated one of uh, just another risk element that um, you know that contributes to that contamination that's the operators the materials and the product is still exposed to the environment. And there are no, you know, kind of absolute filters in play. They will yeah. always allow a certain amount of particles through. You always open, you know, your product to potential contamination sources. Uh, obviously, viable contaminants are the most severe but we're not, um, you know, we're not to ignore the particle ones as well. Yeah, and then um, the isolator opens up for maintenance. Uh, the, the, the operator is going to climb in and remove a filter or something and uh, leave his trail. And uh, you would never know if you cleaned out everything after they uh, did the uh, did the maintenance, for example. Not unless you your risk assessment has identified a good environmental monitoring program. Yeah, where you know where we're looking for those types of things, and um, and it becomes part of you know, do you measure it or do you mitigate it? And gloveless isolators are yet another mitigating measure to reduce risk, but nobody's ever spoke about eliminating risk. Yeah. Well, the, it's funny that we're so far behind because we also work in the electronic industry. And as we know, there's facilities, there's no humans going in into facilities for many rooms surrounding the critical area. And it works. Uh, the, it's all robotic and automatic and so on. Um, and uh, it feels like the life science industry is here 20, 30 years behind. Yeah. It, it, it can be. But again, they... The particle sizes uh, that are critical to them are much, much smaller. So if we were worried about 0.1 micron or you know 0.01 microns affecting product quality, then that would give us undue concern. Right now, asepsis is managed through your you know your 0.5 micron data. You don't need to even go to 0.3 to to demonstrate that 
the area is clean enough to ensure not sterility because there is no steril absolute sterility assurance but to guarantee that the environment is such that you've done it in in a way in which sterility is um, uh, mitigated for as best we can all right so um the risk assessment is important we hear the annex one wants it it's part of the contamination control strategy um we heard that you do this from the install of the size parts all the way through production and to the end of the production and then you do your plating and your fingerprinting and everything and then it takes you another two to five days of incubation and uh, getting your data out then you wait your 14 days for your um, real product release data from the sterility test and then hopefully you didn't find anything um, and that shows you that you did a good risk assessment and then you proved this over many times and do a good production and that, and that's you know this whole thing starts to lead us towards quality by design and parametric release where you know a lot of the new products atmps etc that they don't have that two-week shelf life luxury you know they're yeah. back to a patient before then and so the, the robustness of your risk assessment will then demonstrate in near time, if not real time, control over the aseptic environment and reduce the burden on finished product testing. And when we start to bring all that together within the contamination control strategy, we get that step closer to parametric release which, you know, will we get there with Pharma 4.0? It's certainly the, the goal of industry to get there. Yeah, that's a, that's a biggie. Indeed. <laughs> All right, Mark, do you have any f closing arguments on this? Uh, no, I think we've uh, gone through a lot of the, the details on, uh, on why they're important, on why a risk assessment is important, Mark. You know, the uh, the migration of quantitative or sorry, qualitative to quantitative is an important facet of understanding those risks and um, one that would be happy to talk to you about further. We will. Thank you, Mark, for today. I think that sums it up. For anyone out there listening, you can ask your local salesperson. Visit us on infopmeasuring.com on our website and our knowledge or send us an email. Happy to talk, Mark. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Take care. Goodbye. Bye. Cheerio.